electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Money starts right now, live from the Nasdaq market site overlooking New York City's Times Square. I'm Melissa Lee. Your traders on the desk are Pete Najeri and David Seberg, Dan Nathan and Tim Seymour. Tonight on Fast, it is a Twitter takedown. The stock getting crushed today as a social media giant admits there's a lot of fake accounts out there, but the expulsion of fake accounts could lead to real money, says tech guru Gene Munster. And he'll tell us just how much. Plus, Apple lagging behind its biggest tech peers, but the chart master sees something that has him pressing the buy button. He will explain why he's calling for an Apple turnover. But first, we start off with the market rally. The Dow surging more than 300 points, closing at the highs of the day. The Dow now positive for the year, with financials and industrials leading the way higher. And it could all be thanks to the war. Yeah. The trade war, that is. What is it good for? Well, apparently it's good for about a 7% gain on the S&P 500 here in the U.S. over the past three months and not so good for China. The FXI, the Chinese large cap ETF, down about 7% over the same time period. So rhetoric aside, could we actually be winning the trade war? And if so, what are the best stocks and sectors to bet on right now? Pete. I think we could be winning the trade war, and I think if you decide that you want to look at the Shanghai versus the U.S. in terms of the stock markets themselves, that sort of screams that we are winning, because essentially we're flat over the last month, and you look over at Shanghai, and it's down about 10% over the last month. So under the circumstances, it seems like people are able to digest and look forward and look forward enough that whether you call it a trade war negotiation, whatever you want to call this whole thing that's going back and forth and all these various tariffs, it seems to me that we are in the position of power. Now, I know there's others that might disagree with that, but I think we are in a position where we do have the power, and I think because of that, that's why we're seeing the financials today finally showed a little bit of life. We got earnings at the end of the week. We're going to see the numbers. We'll find out more about that. But these industrials, I think that that is an opportunity, and I think some of them that were oversold are starting to get a little bit of that lift, and I think there's a lot further to go. I know you're talking about Caterpillar and Boeing. I, uh, I mean, we saw nice performances today's session. Do we get the all clear when it comes to these poster children well, of the trade war? I mean, I'm not sure it's a position of power, though, Pete. I mean, you know, if you look, see what Boeing's down 8%, Caterpillar's down 12%. That's where the rally over the last couple of days. So I mean, the point is, over the last couple of days, are we making the call that we're now winning the war because in a lot of these stocks have bounced back? I think what we're happening is, what we're realizing is, the trade war is not a war anyone is going to win. A negotiated settlement, I, I, I probably believe the same thing with Pete. I, I think we're in a position to actually exact a negotiated settlement that's probably uh, positive in trade terms. No matter what, though, we've listened to CEOs around the world and definitely ones in this country telling you we don't want a trade war. And if you look at the big industrial companies, they've underperformed during this period. The rest of the world has sold off like they're going out of business. And, yes, that's an opportunity. 
Well, here's the thing, right? So you talk about who's got the upper hand here. I would say given the proximity to the midterm elections, I'd say the Chinese in particular have the upper hand right here. They cannot have, the Republicans cannot afford to have this thing drag out. And they certainly, most of the Republicans um, do not, Agree with the Trump with, with Trump's tariffs? They just don't. So I think that, because they don't want it to be well, fair. They, yeah, but they don't no, no, want no, this. No, 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 no. Hold on, Pete. Listen. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with P. Jim, a leading global asset manager. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Everyone agrees that the intellectual property, the, the things that are going on there, right. needs to change. They're not, right. they just don't agree with how it's going about, okay? So all of a sudden now, we have a situation where we slap $34 billion of tariffs, 25% tariffs on that. Okay, so that's $10 billion. Inconsequential. Inconsequential. It really is. On a $19 trillion dollar right. economy, right. it's inconsequential. inconsequential. Right. But then he's tagging possibly $500 Billion. Which you do is the math on everything that. Everything we bring in which from is China more. for the United but, but, States. He's come up well, with numbers that are even but, more I, than but, we But, but I understand. For. And so I, I guess my point is, is like this thing's going to go on. There's not going to be any quick resolution to this sort of thing. And that's the whole notion of a trade skirmish that turns into a trade war. And let me just add one other thing. Yeah. It's not just our economic and, and, and political adversaries. It's also our allies. We trade more with the U.K., China, or excuse me, the, the UK, uh, or, or excuse me, Mexico and Canada more than China, Japan, the UK, and Germany. Okay, one trillion more with them. And we're launching a trade war with them too, our, our, our allies? Yeah, but I, I, and Dan, I, I agree with you. I think the issue here is that the market's got its head around the fact that when Trump throws out, President Trump throws out a number like 500 billion, yeah. that's not going to get passed. I mean, not even close to that getting passed. So I think the. Why? The market, if they keep retaliating, David? I, no, I, I, look, I think I agree with you about China. I agree with you about China. I think China actually is in control because if they start to see a sag in their economy, we're never going to know the real story. We're going to see numbers come out. We're going to see a, a sort of face that they're going to put on growth at any cost is their mantra. That continues to be sort of a reality. So as far as the information, the numbers coming from China, do I actually believe them on a week-to-week -week well, basis? Are we now, are we I now, I mean, I, so, that's, no, look, that's, a, that's they, something we've heard for years. Correct. Too, and, 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 and I think the wrong but, but my, thing to be my, bringing my up here. My point is supporting, supporting Dan on this and saying they have the upper hand from it because they kind of do when it comes to that. When it comes to sort of the illusion that they could put out there and the impact of their economy. So what are we seeing in the markets here? Right now, the, the markets right now are comfortable. We're seeing, I think, markets are comfortable, A, over the weekend that we didn't get any sort of rhetoric around 
trade whatso- you know, whatsoever. But I think most importantly right now, the comfort is around the fact that Trump isn't going to impose these crazy outlandish tra- tariffs that he's threatening to. I think Look, the, the market the, believes Why that. do you say the, that? The, if you the, took his policy on almost everything, though, think about t- TPP, think about Iran, think about immigration, I'll tell you why. think about health care, what I'll they want to do, think about no, taxes. No, no, They've actually why. followed through on all of but, this but, stuff. But I'll tell you all why. Of the because once the, economy, the once the economy starts to take a hit and growth begin, begins to slow down to some extent based on this rhetoric, that's when he backs off so aggressively. There's a because there's a Trump There's a Trump in the trade war. He, again, I said this before oh. on the show a million times. We basically have an administration right now is benchmarked on the S&P. They're benchmarked on the Look, S&P. I, 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 if you story. want to make an argument that we actually saw a reacceleration of risk aggression or, or whatever you want to call this uh, four or five days ago, that's really where this is, is started. And, and what's the reason for it? One, I think you've got a Fed out of the way. You've got Fed minutes that reaffirm that this is a Fed that's being very thoughtful, I think, on both sides of the ledger, this asymmetric you know, target on, on uh, PCE, et cetera. But again, over the last four or five days, you've had emerging markets rally 6%. You've had the dollar fail at 95 and actually trade with a 93 handle this morning. Rates are sideways for three months. Look at the two-year note, which was really leading the entire move on rates. And actually, that's done nothing since mid-April. That's the story, folks. And a lot of this stuff, I think, is over. Here's the other part of the story. Especially as we get into earnings season. How about the fact that volatility, 20% has been sucked out in the last four or five trading Do you think that's been a good indicator throughout I think it's been a fantastic indicator. Absolutely. Uh, Without any question. Wouldn't it be time now? I, I mean, to buy protection. Yes, yes. exactly. Yes. The VIX with yes. below a 13 Because handle. we were in a different range. We had moved from that right. range, which we call it 10 to 12. And then suddenly we were in this 14 to 17 range. And now here we are back in the 13s and towards but the 12s. Does it worry you guys that in January into Q4 earnings season and then in April into uh, Q1 earnings season or after, we had pretty healthy sell-offs after there because we had these moves into earnings. Like, listen, guys, we're sitting here trying to tell, tell the viewers that was why the market rallied today. I have no idea. None of you guys have any idea. It's head-scratching, okay? So here's the thing. As we get into... I, I actually, I disagree. I think it's loosening over the last week. That's why no, we're up today. It's lack of, it's lack of <laughs> any right, sort of... Yeah, I mean, that's fine. No, it's not literally. No, but think think about where we are. All right. In the last couple of days, we actually got through the formal event where we actually filed these investigations. We had to do it. It's procedural, guys. At this point, you've got 34 billion. You've got another 16 behind it. And that's probably it. Uh, you've got 270 days so, to go into this investigation, and you've had the Fed out of the way. You've had good data. I could go on for a long time. Here's the question. Do we invest as if this trade war is either behind us or, is, or we're on the winning side of it, whichever way you want to view it? I mean, when you take a look at a name like, I'll give this one to you, General mm-hmm. Motors. Mm-hmm. Theoretically, could really be hit. It, they, they certainly could, and that would be concerning because I'm an, an owner of the stock itself. Yeah. But. Um, you know, Mel, I continue to look at it as I think we are in a winning position. Does that mean that every day that I think GM's got a shot to continue to kind of grind and maybe move to the upside and get past 40, get back out towards 44, 45? No. But at the same time, I do feel like we're in a position of power. I do feel like we're the stronger. And I think that's reflected in what we're seeing in the market and why people have chose to come back into some of these names, particularly as we approach earnings season. I mean, that's really kicking off Friday when we get into the financial. Let's talk about earnings season. Sure. Let's talk about the weirdo-ness of all these tariffs. You just read this story this morning that BMW has these plants in our southern part of our country, and they make cars and they sell them to China. Now, China's going to slap a 40% tariffs on that. Okay, so... Either they either need to raise prices or they need to, because there's going to be lesser demand. Like right. so we can all agree right. on that, right. right? And then ultimately, they're going to have to fire workers in Trump country. How do you think that's going to play? 
How do you think that's going to play? These are the sorts of things that we are going to hear, the uncertainty that we are going to hear about second-half guidance. Right. And if you don't think that that's going to take some of the air out of the first-half excitement no, that we I had about tax cuts, I, I just don't see it. Yeah, I, I, mean, look, I think it's a good point. I think what you have to focus on right now is CapEx and, and guidance, CapEx guidance, and the way companies position themselves from that perspective for, the, for looking forward. But don't you think I it'll would, be cautious? So CapEx it, will be cautious? Look, we'll Hiring see, will be cautious? We, we will Wage see, growth will be We will be see how that is. And it probably is a tempered tone. But I would say, if you think about the market in general right now, this is how I'm investing. What's the path of least resistance right now in this market, market? Up or down? It's doesn't up, the it's market, up haven't they heard from every company that were concerned about this? And the market is priced in everything you just said, Dan. Wait, wait, I mean, you right. can't Tim, tell me Tim, that that's not already out we there. We sold off after Q1 earnings I, I, season I know in what April the history because was. we you actually, just said because we thought that was a top in earnings. And I'm telling you, everything you just said about the guidance about CapEx or whatever they think from the trade concerns. So Mel asked, how are you investing in it? I think it makes sense to take a week or two. Take a week or two. The market's so range-bound. I mean, the S&P, how, you Just know. don't do anything. Well, no, I, I don't mean don't do anything. If you're, you know, if you're like Pete and you see opportunities, yeah, GM went up to 45 and now it's back at 40 and it He's filled in that whole gap. Maybe it's a good do. You know All what right. I mean? Good debate here on the desk, clearly. But let's settle this. Bring in Allianz Chief Economic Advisor, former PIMCO CEO, Mohamed El Arian. Mohamed, welcome back. Um, thank goodness you're here. want to get your opinion. <laughs> Who is winning the trade war? Are we? So in relative terms, we are winning and we will win the, the trade war. And I think just look at the performance of U.S. markets relative to China and relative to others. That is consistent. The more interesting question is what happens in absolute terms. And I think what the market has priced in is the following, that the tit-for-tat continues, but ultimately it doesn't lead to a full-blown trade war, that we get still free but fair trade. And is there... A left tail, sure there is. I think what the market hasn't realized as yet is that there is a right tail. I call it the Reagan moment for trade, that when people realize that at the end of the day, the U.S. will prevail because it's a less open economy, because it's a more dynamic economy, that ultimately you may end up in a situation where the U.S. position in global economic terms is better off. So I see this as the market is pricing in the most likely outcome, but let's not forget there's a right tail as well as a left tail. When we think about the Reagan moment, Mohammed, most people will think about Japanese automakers bringing production to the United States. Is that what you're talking about? More um, no. production, more manufacturing, more jobs here in the U.S. as a result of this trade dispute? No, I'm, I'm referring to the decision that President Reagan took to have a race on military buildup with, with the then Soviet Union, with the, what he called the evil empire. Were there risks to that approach? Massive risks. But at the end of the day, because the U.S. was sure to win that war, mm. as long as those risks were managed, you ended up with changing the landscape of Europe and changing the position of the U.S. And I think that one of the upside risks, it is a tale, but one of the upside risks is that you may end up changing the global landscape in a way that favors the U.S. because countries will realize that if we slip into a trade war, while everybody suffers, the U.S. does better in relative terms. All right. Well, Mohammed, the trade war is not your only prediction. You also brought along two others. And your predictions tend to be accurate. So one could call them tomorrow's headlines. Uh, we're going to kick it up here. Uh, you say the Fed backs away from four hikes for 2018. Why? Because the rest of the world is less solid than the U.S. So if the, US, if the Fed was only looking at the U.S., it would hike four times. However, we are going to have headwinds from the global economy. Europe is slowing down. China 
is, in a, is not in a perfect position, and the Fed is not going to be able to ignore the rest of the world. So we're going to get three, a total of three, not four hikes for this year. All right. Your third prediction here is the best Fed in the world could be emerging markets. Really? So Why? Selective emerging markets, because they are subject to contagion. Um, just look what's going to happen tomorrow morning. You had news in Turkey just now about a political appointment. I'm willing to bet anything that tomorrow morning the Turkish lira is going to come under enormous pressure and other EM currencies are going to suffer. Why? Because the technicals in that market are particularly weak. So what you get is overshoots of good names, of solid names that temporarily depressed. And I think that you will have opportunity after opportunity in the coming months as global liquidity recedes mm -hmm. to pick up good names at temporarily depressed prices. Mohammed, always great to speak with you. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you. Mohammed El Arian. All right, let's trade it. Uh, what do you think of that last prediction? I think, uh, look, I think he's right. Emerging markets underperformed the S&P by 15% from the beginning of April through last week. Um, and what he talked about were Turkey. Erdogan named his son-in-law um, as the finance mission. Not good stuff, folks. But let's go to China. Let's not get complicated because I think a lot of people know which stocks to buy in China. And I think if I look at some of those mega cap tech <clears> names <throat> in China, uh, I think their sell-off is one you absolutely jump on. Tencent, we had some news about uh, some gaming and some things that they could be actually spinning off over here. Bottom line, fundamentals make sense there. Yeah. Uh, you know, the Xiaomi offering is kind of interesting. Didn't do really? particularly well. I'd throw that in there. This was a company that people expected to come out, IPO in Hong Kong, at $100 billion last year. It was like $53 much, billion 53. valuation. I mean, I, I think there's some things that you can point to and say that there's some stuff that's kind of cooling off. You know, when you think about being in the ninth year of this recovery that we're in here, um, you know, we have global stock markets that other than ours really does act well. Nobody else acts particularly well. So there's a lot of things. I, I just don't see us break. I, listen, I've said this time and time again. I think 2850 to 2550 in the, in the downside of the S&P is the range. Have a ball. Trade the options, Pete. Trade the ranges of these things. But, you know, I, I just oh, think I there's will. a ton of headwinds. Coming up, Twitter getting taken out to the woodshed after the exorcism of 70 million bots on its platform. But the CFO just said something that has investors excited about the stock again. We'll tell you what that is. Plus, when he wasn't busy attacking the media, Tesla CEO Elon Musk spending quite a bit of time this weekend tweeting about his project to help rescue the soccer team stuck in a cave in Thailand. So is there a method to the tweeting madness? And later, Apple lagging behind its tech peers. But the chartmaster sees something that could, be, that could mean the stock is heading for a major breakout. We'll tell you just how high. We're live from Times Square in New York City. Much more Fast Money right after this. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Fast Money. You're looking at a video of a mini submarine designed by Elon Musk himself being tested in a pool of a high school in Los Angeles, one that the Tesla CEO shipped off to Thailand 
to help rescue the last members of the Thai soccer team trapped in a cave. That was just one post in a weekend flurry of tweets by Musk, none of which talked about Tesla at all. Musk tweeted a total of 10 times this weekend. Every single one of those tweets was about the rescue effort in Thailand. He even answered questions about his mini submarine when he wasn't busy showing videos or of it or praising rescuers. And this comes just days after Musk took to Twitter and blasted a handful of media organizations for what he viewed as misleading stories about Tesla. Question here. Is he intentionally trying to distract investors from Tesla? Seabrook, what do you say? Look, I mean, I don't. I, I mean, this is a very sensitive situation, given the fact there are so many people in jeopardy there. But I would say no. It probably is not a distraction. I think that in general, he, if he wants to distract people, I think he'll be much more direct. Uh, in, in my opinion, I think the institutional investor, the, the core holders of this, on the institutional side, are a little bit, you know, nervous, if you will, by his tweets. Not these in particular, but I think earlier tweets just about cash flow, profitability, et cetera, um, that, that he has really no, I think, you know, uh, you know, policy on. He should not be tweeting on that stuff. So I think there's a frustration from the standpoint of scared factor. Do you want to be investing in a company with CEO tweets I, I, and, I and think goes after? Some of the diehard Tesla people, they oh, love, love that. They yeah. love it. This is the guy that they're betting on and they're taking him, you know, into the, into the future, you know, ultimately to Mars, Pete. You know, I mean, so, I, you know, I think I think this stuff um, this weekend is cool. It shows us who he is. It shows yeah. us his humanity. The innovation I think, of the technology is involved. Yeah. 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 And I, I think the other amazing. stuff, though, attacking the press is not particularly useful. Right. And if I was his board, I would not. But want none to of this it. is new. Let's let's be clear. I don't. So I, I don't think there's a conspiracy here. I don't think he's trying to distract people from some no. greater. Like here's a shiny you know, object. Look over no, here. Look over definitely here. Definitely not. This is a guy that's been very outspoken. He's very confident about the cars he's building and the process he's underway. And he I think sometimes he doesn't sweat the details. And, he, and when people sweat the details, because that's what Wall Street does, I think it bums them out. I think the bottom line here is the stock has underperformed. Uh, if it's a tech company, it's underperformed the triple Qs by 12% over the last couple of years. And I'm not just picking spots. You can pick a lot of different spots. I, I think at some point, I think the market is starting to worry whether these guys get to the next phase, because the technology is not in question. It, it's, it's the other part and of it. And I don't disagree with you on the, on the fact that it's lagged in terms of the, the stock appreciation of this. But... I still view it as a tech company. I think a lot of the people who hold I, the stock, I, I think, look at it as a tech company. You have to. Yeah. And I think Wall Street still looks at it as a car company. And that, that's the disconnect that I think we're seeing right now. I think the majority of the folks out no, on Wall Street. It's schizophrenic. It's schizophrenic because yeah. they want to look at it as a car company in terms of deliveries. Yes. Right. But they want to give it the valuation of a tech company. Absolutely. You're 100% you're right. And I, and I think that's the part that I think, and Elon has not done a, a great job of actually letting Managing. people know, yeah. this is a tech company and we are feeding ourselves into Guys, the hardware side of it. I think Last everybody word. knows GM and Ford and Tesla all the same market cap is being valued as a tech company. That's right. Like, no I mean... But the analysts don't think so. Coming up, Starbucks ditching a plastic straws just months after its bathroom problem. Is the coffee giant putting politics over profits? We'll explain. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money and CNBC, first in business worldwide. In the meantime, here's what else is coming up on Fast. <laughs> Twitter is exorcising its bots. But is the bot purge good or bad for Twitter? Tech guru Gene Munster has a surprising take. Plus, while mega cap tech names surge, Apple has quietly sat out the rally. But the chartmaster says it's about to come to life. And you won't believe how high he sees it going. That's when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Mega cap tech has been on fire as many names sit near all-time highs, but the biggest stock in the world has been sitting out all of the fun. Let's get to Bob Bassani at the New York Stock Exchange for the details. Hi, Bob. 
Hello, Melissa. You know, it's true. Apple has been underperforming its fellow Fang brethren in the last couple of months. You know, it's barely budged two months. It's up a little more than 1%. Let's not quibble since early May. But Google and Amazon have been up 7 or 8% in that time period. Facebook's been up 12%. And Netflix, well, forget Netflix. It's been blowing the doors off of everything. It's up 27% in two months. But don't feel too sorry for Apple. And don't think there's something really wrong here. Apple's earnings are still growing big time. Now, look at this. Third quarter earnings ending in June will be up about 30% year over year. That is pretty amazing for such a mature company. But Netflix earnings for this quarter, I'm not, this is not a typo. This is their fiscal second quarter. It's just off the charts. They're going to be up more than 400% from 15 cents last year to about 80 cents this quarter. Now, that's why you're getting these phenomenal price moves in a Netflix. You're also seeing phenomenal earnings growth, by the way, in Amazon. Earnings may be up more than 170%. In 2018, over 2017, it's also the reason it's up so strongly this year. And Apple is not really lagging the tech sector. In fact, in a sense, Apple is the tech sector this year. It's up 12% in 2018, performing pretty much in line with the overall S&P 500 technology sector, up 13% this year. The bottom line is this. Apple is still a revenue and sales monster, but you have a few fellow FANG members really blowing the doors off the top and the bottom lines. Back to you, Melissa. All right. Thank you very much, Bob Pisani at the New York Stock Exchange. Well, our next guest says there might be more trouble ahead for Apple. Uh, Chartmaster Carter Worth of Cornerstone Macro is over at the Plasma and uh, will break it all down for us. Carter. Yeah, so my, my hunch is, uh, and again, a lot of uh, good calls and bad ones are subjective. A hunch, a feeling, and uh, making a judgment. My judgment is that Apple is basically stalling and doesn't have the upside that, let's say, other stocks of its type do. So uh, first, here's a, a well-defined chart. It is a chart. It uh, has no annotations or drawings by me. Um, let's uh, put in some lines. What we know is that Apple, of course, has bounced off trend several times and has responded quite well over and over. So one could say, so what's the issue? It's all about relative performance. So if we keep this same chart on top and we look at relative performance, what we know is that even as Apple has continued, it's not keeping up with the S&P. In fact, if I were to draw the lines this way, what we know is that it's basically, again, up absolute, but making no real progress to the market, meaning as a pick in and of itself, it's just not delivering results. Opportunity cost uh, one of, would have done better elsewhere. If I were to pull this back, in fact, what's so interesting is that Apple's performance actually peaked here in 2012. And some six years later, it's made no result relative to the market. Again, yes, it's up. But what, what is interesting, it keeps getting stuck at this level, relative performance, and seems to be unable to advance. If I were to not do it as a relative, but two comparative lines, consider the following. What this is, is since... 2012 to present, you have both Apple and S&P up almost identical, 97%. But as an investment, as a trajectory, risk-adjusted, what we know, of course, is the orange line is much steadier and better, whereas Apple has had huge drawdowns and has then had to play catch-up simply to get back to the market. So on a risk-adjusted basis, not as good. Um, let's talk about the day-to-day -day pattern. My hunch is this that yes, while we did
did move above these tops and we pivoted back, that you've got actually a minor head and shoulders top here. Here are the lines, last chart, and that actually Apple has the risk of retracing some of this move back towards sort of the low 180s, even 175, close today around 190. I think you want to fade it. All right. Come on over, Carter. Michelle will bring the chair in. Thank you. Michelle. So you said it before, Apple is the tech sector. Does this mean the tech sector is in trouble too? Well, so, so Apple is, is obviously a big weight in the tech sector. What's interesting is that, that relative performance, if you compare it to the tech sector, it's even worse. And remember, there's auto correlation because it's a big part. If you removed right. Apple, it's relative performance even worse still. Um, it just doesn't, I think it just doesn't have the word dynamic associated with it. It, it just feels dull. You mentioned 175, 180 as, as the price it could check back to. Is that firm support in your view? or I mean, it would retrace the gap up okay. associated with its uh, last sort of yeah. piece of news. I, I think it's important to mention that a few months ago prior to earnings, you actually thought it was going to break out above that, and it did. So you, like, for all intents and purposes, you've had a nice call here. Um, you know, do you get a little nervous into the September uh, product cycle? I mean, this is a stock that obviously maybe that's what it's kind of basing for as we get into new iPhones in right. September. So first, that's a nice softball for me, remembering a good call. Second, I don't know anything about product cycles because I'm not in that, right? I'm not in the why. I'm in the what business and what it looks like, uh, but I'll leave that to you, is that it's stalled. What, what is the product cycle? Is it going to get better or worse? Car, car, I look uh, at this. No, I'm asking, is it supposed to be good, this coming thing? Or? Better hope so. Well, Better so. hope so. Yeah. <laughs> but Carter, I, I, look at, I look at Apple against the triple Qs, and am I doing something wrong here? I mean, I see it outperforming over the last couple of years, and, and I see it outperforming sure, by 20%. Over the last percent, couple of years, so. right, but that's the catch-up trade, having basically underperformed so badly. 12, that's totally fair, and you say 2012, you say it kind 13, of, but why, why isn't it it's time now? And this is where we might layer in some financial stuff, like also buybacks and accretion and services sure. businesses, well, but one could maybe say it's their you, time. You never bet against Apple because of the buyback uh, program alone. It just, in a moment where I think there's going to be some uh, interest in beta, this is the exact opposite of that. Mm -hmm. it's, it's a low beta sort of safety trade that maybe people will uh, look past as they try to play things like industrials and financials. Pete, does Carter give you pause on Apple? No, not really. I, I look at the, the, the chart, <laughs> and I look at it as consolidation, but I also look at all the different growth. I mean, I'm going away from where you are. Sure. I'm going away from the technology side of it, and I'm looking at, services. okay, what does the company actually have? Services, but here's the other one. No one's they will all be saying this, just like they said services years later, wearables. The growth in the wearables is absolutely astounding, and no one ever talks about it. And if you compare it to Azure, you, you compare it to AWS, you compare it to all these other areas that we all just go crazy over each and every quarter, and you look at the, just the wearables for Apple, mm -hmm. you'd be amazed at the growth 70-plus percent back in February. Yeah, I mean, look, I think it's a range-bound stock. I think at 190-ish, it becomes a funding short. We've talked about that before on the show. And I think 170-ish is short of the bottom in this name. But it's a tradable range. You trade that range. I mean, I look at it and say the only upside, in my opinion, for this story is really on the services side and the gross margins and what street are the street yeah, expectations I got to tell you, I, this stock is so defensive. And Carter's pointed this out yeah. during the last three months. I actually think the stock's going to be that trillion-dollar stock by the fall. I mean, the, the model released for sure, but 10% earnings no, increase just through buybacks. The services revenue is if growing. I mean, there's there's all kinds of reasons why I think Apple is is in charge of their own destiny here, and I think the stock. But isn't it great. important I to mean, remember that the it's stock? Not, it's not Nvidia. It's not Netflix. The, and in the first week of May, news. the right. stock was 161. Okay, and now it's 190. I, I'm just right. saying. So you're and having lots of opportunities to trade this thing. It did break out, but momentum flags all of a sudden. It did not follow through. The break, I think, was identifiable, but now it seems a little less inspiring. All right. Carter, thank you. Thanks. Good debate.
Carter Braxton Worth still ahead. Twitter tanking nearly 6% today and reports the company purged 70 million fake accounts in the last two months. But tech guru Gene Munster says this could be the perfect time to buy. He will be here. Plus, Starbucks saying goodbye to plastic straws and hello to sippy cup tops. <laughs> but between that and its new bathroom policies, is a company putting politics before profits? Fast Money returns after this short break. The Twitter bot exorcism, hence the scary music. The stock tanking more than 5% today and reports the company suspended 70 million fake accounts in May and June. Josh Lipton's in San Francisco with the details. Josh. Melissa, Twitter exec Ned Siegel trying to ride to the rescue, stepping in today and looking to limit the damage here. The stock falling nearly 10% today at the low, but then pairing losses after the CFO clarified the company's actions, saying most accounts we remove are not included in our reported metrics as they have not been active on the platform for 30 days or more, or we catch them at sign up and they are never counted. He goes on to say, if we removed 70 million accounts from our reported metrics, you would hear directly from us. And this is all in response to that Washington Post report that Twitter has been suspending more than one million accounts a day in recent months. And here was the part that spooked the street. The paper, citing an unnamed source, says the takedown could impact user metrics for the second quarter. CFRA's Scott Kessler downgraded the stock to a sell. He tells me he downgraded on valuation, but this report reminds us he says about risks for the company. He says a lot of the good news is already reflected in the stock, which is up more than 80% so far this year. Investors will have a better sense of what this all really means for the company when Twitter next reports results on July 27th. Melissa, back to you. All right, Josh, thanks. Josh Lipton in San Francisco. So is a purge good or is it bad for Twitter? Seaberg, what do you say? Uh, look, I mean, I, I, I don't like Twitter. Let's just put it out there on the table, especially this valuation. As far as this purge is concerned, 20% of their user base seems incredibly extreme to me. So I think they publish it's less than 5% that are fake accounts, and that's probably accurate. I think losing 70 you know, million, if you will, uh, you know, subscribers would be a devastating thing for the stock, and advertisers would basically pull right off the platform. I do think the stock's expensive here. I do think that there are better alternatives for investors, and I think that'll come out in the quarter. But, but ultimately, I, I, I look at it and say, this stock, this stock to lose 70 million subscribers, that's a big number. 70, but up. it won't appear in any of the metrics. What was interesting, though, when the CFO tweeted that, was that we saw the stock pair its losses, but it didn't recoup a lot of the losses suffered during the day. So there is still a grain of skepticism or concern embedded in the stock that go beyond these fake accounts that won't even hit the metrics, according yeah, to Look, the they've CFO. got more than 336 million users, and I, I think that, you know, a lot of these accounts have been dormant for more than 30 days. I, I, you know, I, I think people, let's wait for the numbers on the 27th that the CFO is pushing people towards. I think that's the right thing to do. Um, ultimately, I think the stock's had a massive run. But just remember the sell-off in Twitter, uh, also that we saw around the Facebook news, whatever you want to call the Facebook situation. Uh, bottom line is, you know, it's the same story at play here. You've got two companies where they are trying very hard to get control of their user base and their data, and I actually think it's a positive. Our next guest says Twitter will bounce back from this battle against the bots. Loop Ventures founder Gene Munster joins us from Minneapolis to tell us why. Hi, Gene. Good to see you. I have um, a really basic, basic question, uh, and, and being somebody who's not entirely familiar with how bots work, but I would imagine that bots could be programmed so that they are more active uh, on, a, on a monthly basis than what Twitter is using in terms of their metric to weed these accounts out. So do you have, I mean, how comfortable are you that th that 336 million MAU number is firm and that part of that 
aren't bots waiting to be called? Well, so we, of that number, what we think is the most likely piece that's going to be removed is probably somewhere around 5 million accounts. And that's in part on this bot methodology that you're looking at, but also about the uh, level of materiality that the CFO talked about today. So let's just assume that 5 million accounts disappear from that 336 million that they reported at the end of the March quarter. That would imply a year-over-year -year growth of 5% in MAUs. The year-over-year -year growth in the March quarter was 3%. Now, that would be down sequentially, so that would be viewed as somewhat of a negative. But I just want to just comfort some investors here that this would not be some big uh, shift in terms of the MAU growth. It actually would be a slight acceleration if they eliminated 5 million accounts. I think that there's another big piece here, too, is that this company is serious about cleaning up uh, the broader platform, and I think that should make investors feel comfortable as well. And the third and final piece, and this isn't anything new today, but this concept of investors getting progressively more comfortable with what was a toxic phrase three months ago around privacy and consumer data and selling that, it's almost like we've just blown past that. And so I think based on those three factors, we feel pretty good here. Hey, Gene, does it make you feel better about maybe, let's just say it's more than 5 million accounts, but that the monetization is better on a smaller number, even though that that user base is not growing in a material way to get investors excited? Yeah, there's different levers, clearly. But I think when you think about platforms, though, this growth idea is still critical. I think that even if some of the revenue per user improved and uh, but if the, the, the metrics around the core numbers were, were somehow uh, different than what we're expecting, if they were more negative, there's really no way to get investors comfortable around that, even with Im improving revenue per user. Most likely how this plays out is that it's going to take a quarter or two for investors to try to get back to a normal run rate about what the user growth was. That's why the stock doesn't rebound when the CFO is out comforting people is because investors say, this is probably going to take a couple quarters to work itself out. We're not going to have visibility. Therefore, that impacts the valuation in the near term. Hey, Gene, quick one for you. What matters more to you right now? Would it be user growth in whatever metric you want to use, or is it engagement, or what is it that you look at and you feel is the most important metric right now for Twitter? The most important metric is user growth. Uh, the, the, the challenge is we're not going to really see that. And so this quarter, for the June quarter, it's going to be around engagement. We're going to have to look to that. But that would be the one, two, the uh, user growth on top, and, uh, and the second would be engagement. All right, Gene, we're going to leave it there. Thanks so much for joining us. Always great to see you. Thank Gene you. Munster of Loop Ventures. They haven't added users. I mean, you look right? at, I that's, mean, look at that's, if that's the most important metric, that's and a I problem. agree, you look at the exited Q1 17. They exited Q1 17 with You can be disappointed, 16, but to say that they're not growing, it is they, not they true. Didn't, they didn't grow. They ended Q1 17 with 69 million users in the U.S. They ended Q1 18 with 69 million users in the U.S. Well, they Q1 grew numbers I saw users internationally up 13% year over year. Year over and, year. And, I look at 10 million And the revenues, so what, I'm surprised Gene didn't talk about the revenue growth. The revenue growth is up 40%. But these so, I mean, I'm not sure what you guys want. To this is a unique multiple. communication and, and real live broadcast platform that no one else is even close to. But and Tim, they're actually finally growing. I mean, the, the, that's to pay a premium multiple for a stock like this in this environment, you need to see the key metrics like Why, David, users it's such growth. a scarce property. I mean, this is really it's what he's saying. Property, I mean, like, you think about but, it. It's not, I don't think it's actually um, coincidental that this thing has just taken but, off um, Dan, as Facebook has marched to grow their user base.
They have 336 million. That's up 10 million. Right. Year I, year. I think that's investors not, over the last couple of years have gotten really comfortable with the fact that you're going to see low single, mid single digit. Um, but it's been more growth. about engagement. It's been more about video. It's been more about a lot of the different ways that they're trying to get back and forth with the clients that are actually on there. How I mean, I thought it was about monetization. And by no, the way, I, I will say. That's all I hear about. I will say that it is about monetization, and that all goes back to the engagement process. But the fact that you're, you, and I agree with you, in terms of growth, we're not seeing the growth. Right. That, that's been a problem. Like Why is the stock like price Twitter as a growth story? I like Twitter, but yeah. I don't like the, the growth side of it is the concerning side of it for me. I mean, right. I, I agree with, with everything Dave, Dave's saying. I don't see the growth, but I do see the engagement. I do see people spending more time on there, the daily use of it itself. That's that's clear, and I think that's why the revenue is going. I, I, I think there's no question that part of the valuation of Twitter has to be that it is unique, that it is standalone at a time when major media companies probably. I, I still think there has to be some kind of uh, M and A premium into the stock, even though I think the company's going about their business and growing this thing as we want them to. All right, still ahead, it is make or break time for the banks. The group rallying today ahead of earnings later this week. We'll tell you what to expect. Plus. Starbucks ditching plastic straws, opting for more eco-friendly options. CNBC's Kate Rogers is testing them outside a store right here in Times Square. Hi, Kate. Hey, Melissa, that's right. You're going to be seeing a lot fewer straws out there and a lot more of these. We will tell you much more coming up after the break on Fast. Welcome back to Fast Money. Starbucks, the first major chain to ditch its plastic straws for good. Kate Rogers is right outside in Times Square with all the details. Hi, Kate. Hi, Melissa. That's right. Starbucks announced this morning it will be eliminating single-use plastic straws at its 28,000 stores around the globe by the year 2020. So if you order a colder ice drink, you're going to get one of these, unless it's a Frappuccino. This is a recyclable strawless lid that the company actually designed. This is also Starbucks taking yet and again another uh, stance on a big social issue. Not so long after they closed all of their stores, company-owned here in the U.S. for that day of racial bias training, back in May. Now, straws that are made from alternative materials will be made available. If you do order a Frappuccino or upon customer request, they'll be made of paper and other compostable materials. The company said a major reason for this change is the popularity of its cold beverages, especially here in the U.S. They now actually account for more than 50% of their beverage mix in America. That is up 37% from just five years ago. Now, in doing this, Starbucks becomes the largest food and beverage company to take a global stance on straws. McDonald's did start to phase them out in the UK and Ireland. That will be complete by 2019, but a recent shareholder proposal didn't get enough votes to start that process here in the U.S. earlier in the spring. Also, don't forget Seattle, Starbucks hometown, also just recently banned plastic straws and other items for food and beverage companies on July 1st. And now while we are talking about Starbucks, their former CEO, Howard Schultz, was speaking out in Shanghai. He said a recent slowdown in sales in China will be short-lived and that anyone betting against Starbucks in China is, quote, dead wrong. Now, China is their fastest-growing market. The company often says it will one day surpass uh, in size the U.S. It'll become their biggest market one day. They always talk about that. They hope to get to about 6,000 stores over the next few years. And Schultz also hinted at a potential partnership with Jack Ma, of course, the billionaire founder of Alibaba, in order to increase their digital sales of coffee in China. Melissa, over to you. All right, Kate, thanks. Kate Rogers, uh, right outside our window here in Times Square. Um, the question here is, is Starbucks getting a little bit um, too political? 
Well, it's certainly not frothy. Um, and by the way, I don't, I, I don't really drink anything out of Starbucks and a straw, so this doesn't bum me. I know Dan's going to, his frappuccinos are going to. The, the multiple now is about 22 times. That's right, frappuccinos, Dan. Um, you know, I think you're paid to actually stay in the stock now. I mean, this is a stock that at 28, 29 times, I get it. Um, but I also think that there's some elements of this from a total markets perspective. Think of all the ESG investors that now are going to be diving into this name. I mean, I think there are actually positive dynamics that are market dynamics. Like the socially actually, responsible type of Absolutely. Investing. This is a company that's taken a leadership position on multiple fronts, and I, I think they should be applauded. Yeah, I don't think they're exactly alone. You know, when we no. pulled out of this Paris Accord earlier in the year, you saw a lot of states in the U.S., a lot of companies in the U.S. said they're going to continue to operate as if they were in that accord. So I think this is a sort of leadership role on a really important issue um, that we if we're not getting a lot of leadership from our government, um, then maybe companies like this should make you feel better about how they're operating because they do create a lot of things that could be wasted uh, or, or deemed to be wasted. I would, I would be much more excited about what uh, Schultz said about uh, some news, upcoming news involving Jack Ma and some yeah. kind of online than, than this sippy cup top, which they're launching. This is like a grown-up sippy cup top. It does look like what I got myself. I completely agree. I think China is their largest or potentially will be their largest (laughs) market. I think competition, though, you have to think about competition in the U.S. I disagree. I wouldn't buy the stock here. I think they're going to have a lot of headwinds from headwinds from the standpoint of, you know, competition as far as you know, craft breweries and and uh, McDonald's, you know, you name it. I mean, McDonald's is launching their their frappuccino, or I'm sorry, their uh, yeah, their their frappuccino breweries. Look, craft breweries are big. I mean, they're coming in the backyard all over. You walk. You wake up with City, a brew every morning, dude. I'm drinking coffee. What are you doing? Are you smuggling beer in the Starbucks? Actually, do. I think the reality is that in, in the U.S., I think that they are doing a lot of things the right way. They have underperforming stores. They're closing those down. They're they're doing everything that they need need to do from a business perspective. And China, what does excite me is the idea of him partnering up with Jack Ma, getting the digital side of this yeah. going, and obviously the expansion, which is China. They've been talking about it forever. We've watched the, how many stores they're building daily. I mean, it's unbelievable. That is the place that they, I think they actually, that's the golden ticket. All right, coming up, banks soaring today ahead of earnings later this week. So why are some traders fading the move? We will explain. Plus, let's get a check on our Kramer cam and inside peek into Jim's studio. There he is, the madman himself, talking three stocks to buy now that the market's back in rally mode. All that and much more top of the hour on Mad Money. Meantime, we're live at the NASDAQ in Times Square. Much more Fast Money still ahead. Welcome back to Fast Money. Banks soaring today as a number of big names like Wells Fargo, City, and J.P. Morgan all gear up to report earnings later this week. The options market is implying some pretty interesting moves for the name, one name in the space, I should say. Dan's over at the Plasma to break it down. Hey, Dan. Yeah, so Mel, all three of those names report earnings Friday morning before the opening, and Citigroup is the one I want to look at. It's one of the worst performing uh, names off of its highs earlier in the year. Call volume is two and a half times um, that of puts today, but there was one trade that kind of caught my eye in Citigroup. In particular, um, oh, real quickly, the implied move is about 2.5% between now and Friday for all of those names, which is about average um, over the last four quarters. Um, But there was a trade that caught my eye. Roll-up inputs in the July 13th weekly. It really just looks like protection for a long position in Citigroup today. Uh, when the stock was trading at about 68, there was a buyer of the July 13th, this Friday expiration, 67 and a half puts, paying about 47 cents for those. Those break even down at 47.03. Um, the trader also did this in J.P. Morgan and in Wells Fargo. So I think this is protecting long positions in those names. Real quickly, let's just kind of um, go to the chart here. Look at how... This 
this uh, stock found support at this level, about 66. I think a lot of these banks' stocks found support here. So possibly a run into the earnings. I don't know on the way out, though. All right. Thanks for that, Dan. For more Options Action, full show Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Up next, Final Trades. Time for the Final Trade, Pete. A company a couple of weeks ago I talked about. Ameriprise, giddy up. 32. Uh, with virtual no user growth year over year, I'm going to sell our Twitter. Dan. Uh, Facebook, new all-time high, not a buyer, though. Sam. Oh, six straight quarters of revenue of MAU growth and revenue growth. Twitter, buyer. Opposite. Oh, hey. I'm Melissa Lee. Thanks Bye. for watching. See you back here tomorrow at 5 for more Fast. Meantime, don't go anywhere. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.